This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, the drug is in clinical trials that could treat achondroplasia, stopping it from telling bones not to grow. People in LPA are struggling with the idea that people like themselves may no longer exist in the future, uh, in a couple future generations. Will little people even exist in the future when Radio Health Journal returns? I'm Reed Pence, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show. Here's a preview of what they're covering on Viewpoints this week. This week on Viewpoints. It's two people, both of whom have a love for life, making a connection and not having that much time to do that. An enduring story of friendship in the toughest of times. Then... Mrs. Roosevelt picked out what she thought was the best bedroom for Churchill, and he went up and inspected the bedroom, and he didn't like it, and he wandered down the corridors till he found one he liked. Pearl Harbor Christmas. In 1941, the political milieu around the world looked grim. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes, and Stitcher. Everyone faces challenges in life, but some are greater than others, and some we can't even imagine facing ourselves. We have an innate interest in how people meet those challenges. It's one reason reality TV shows are so popular. Among the many worlds we see on reality TV, a few have proven extremely popular. For example, the lives of little people or dwarves have been the subject of more than a half dozen shows. Dr. Jennifer Arnold is co-star of one of them, TLC's The Little Couple, along with her husband, Bill Klein. They're also co-authors of the new book, Think Big. You know, I was a big baby, average-sized baby. And, you know, the doctors knew something was wrong with me, though, because I had respiratory issues and I was a breech delivery. They knew something was wrong and that I had some abnormalities to my skeletal structure, but they didn't know what it was. And I wasn't diagnosed until I was about two when the doctors realized I wasn't growing then at the same rate and accelerated height and weight that I should have. So they sent us up to Baltimore, Maryland, to a genetics clinic where I was very quickly diagnosed. Arnold suffers from a bone growth disorder called SED. As a neonatologist, she says she's cared for many infants with similar disorders, which will result in dwarfism. I've had quite a few infants in my career that I've cared for that had a skeletal dysplasia of various types. Probably most common, I can tell you, I've had children with achondroplasia, which is the most common skeletal dysplasia today, which is similar to the type of skeletal dysplasia that our children have. In addition to that, though, I've had some other types that are unfortunately typically lethal in the neonatal period, and there are certain severe types that children may or may not survive. And then there are others that are just much more orthopedically compromised or children that have a lot more complications that can require lifelong therapy. About 5 million people in the United States live with short stature. Officially, dwarfism is defined as being 4 feet 10 inches tall or less. But the average height of an adult with dwarfism is 4 feet. Achondroplasia accounts for about 75% of all cases. 
achondroplasia is a skeletal dysplasia that primarily affects the growth of the long bones, and it causes a disproportionate short stature, which means that the limbs are significantly short in proportion to the trunk. That's Erica Okenfuss, a licensed genetic counselor for Kaiser Permanente in Sacramento, California. She says of more concern than stature are the various medical problems that often come with achondroplasia. They include simple things such as ear infections, which are common because the head is shaped slightly differently, making ear tubes often a must. Hip joints are often problematic. The opening at the base of the skull may be too small, or the bones of the spine may not grow correctly, putting pressure on the spinal cord. Gary Arnold is president of Little People of America and public affairs manager for Access Living in Chicago. So what you have as a person gets older is the vertebrae putting a lot of pressure on the spinal column. And then that can create issues with circulation and nerves in the arms and legs. And so what you see is a lot of people with dwarfism having spinal stenosis surgery where they kind of try to open up the vertebrae to some degree. And it also can result then in mobility of a person as they get older. Officially, dwarfism is classified as a disability by the Americans with Disabilities Act. But Oakenfuss says many in the little people community are reluctant to accept that label. I think a lot of people would tell you that in and of itself is not a disability. But many, many skeletal conditions, or the most of them, come with other medical complications besides just being short. And often that's where it kind of crosses over to disability. And, you know, it all depends on how you view that word as well. I mean, most people with short stature are differently abled, absolutely. They have to do things differently in order to exist in an average-sized world. But does it end up being a terrible limitation on their quality of life? Not most of the time. Still, Gary Arnold says the toughest day-to-day challenges for many little people come from simply living in a world designed for average-sized people. Reaching the pedals in a rental car, getting groceries off the top shelf at the store, or getting respect from people on the street. It's just kind of natural to treat someone who's shorter physically as a younger person. You find yourself being condescended to or being treated like a child or being treated, you know, like you're some kind of spectacle, like walking down the street and someone sees you and they treat you as if they're seeing some sort of exotic animal at the zoo and you get pointed out to their friends. Or the worst is if a parent points you out to one of their children as if they're at the zoo. I think that's one of the most frustrating things because that really shows that, like, you're not seen as a person just like everybody else. Or if you are, you don't warrant the same kind of respect that typical strangers will give to other strangers in terms of their private space. One height of disrespect may be the use of what little people call the M word. The word midget is unacceptable. And, you know, if we were to ask just one thing, I think that would be the request of most little people is to stop using the M word. It evolved over the years into this derogatory term where really almost every time you see it used, it's used in an objectifying way or in a demeaning way. Eighty percent of children with dwarfism are born to average sized people, usually as a result of a spontaneous mutation in a specific gene. But will little people even exist in the future? 
Okenfuss says a drug is in clinical trials that could treat achondroplasia by interrupting the pathway of the genetic mutation, stopping it from telling bones not to grow. The main idea is to minimize complications such as an impaired spine, but youngsters treated with the drug would presumably also reach a more average height. And to some little people, that's troubling. People in LPA are struggling with the idea that people like themselves may no longer exist in the future, uh, in a couple future generations. LPA has been all about accepting yourself for who you are and trying to make people feel like even though they have dwarfism, they are fine just the way they are and they have a lot to contribute to this society just the way they are. So there's a lot of pride even almost in being who we are and in spite of the difficulties, both medical and social, that come with that. So we've never been out there looking for a treatment. A lot of people are really concerned that treatments like this not only will mean that there won't be people like them in the future, but that the overall diversity of humans in general will be reduced. You can find out more about Little People of America at their website, lpaonline.org. You can find out more about all our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. You'll also find archives of our shows there, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Radio Health Journal returns in just a moment. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free, and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Imagine spending more than half of the month with a headache or migraine. For 3.3 million Americans suffering from chronic migraine, this is their reality. Neurologist Dr. Carrie Knievel is here to discuss what you need to know about chronic migraine and a treatment option that might surprise you. Chronic migraine is a distinct neurological disease defined as having 15 or more headache days per month with headaches lasting four hours a day or longer and at least eight of those headache days being associated with migraine. When most people hear Botox, onabotulinum toxin A, they think of other uses, but Botox is actually the first FDA-approved preventive treatment for chronic migraine. Botox is for adults with chronic migraine, 15 or more headache days a month, each lasting four hours or more. It is not approved for adults with migraine who have 14 or fewer headache days a month. On average, Botox prevents 8 to 9 headache days and migraine or probable migraine days a month versus 6 to 7 for placebo. The treatment takes around 15 minutes and is injected with a tiny needle by a doctor experienced with Botox. Effects of Botox may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. 
Side effects may include allergic reactions, neck and injection site pain, fatigue, and headache. Don't receive Botox if there's a skin infection. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor your medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome, and medications including botulinum toxins as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. Talk to your doctor and visit BotoxChronicMigraine.com to learn more or to find a Botox specialist. Call 1-866-310-4649 or see our ad in Good Housekeeping today. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.